This is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle I'll be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned The Amazing Spider-Talk The Amazing Spider-Talk Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Very direct. Well, they, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to provide a running commentary to every time you say that. Oh, why do you think I say it differently every time now? <laughs> I know. It's wonderful. Thanks for joining us for a special episode of Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you guys enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan, and we're actually changing things up a bit this this time around. I know that uh, those of you most recently got an essential episode with Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Number 2. Well, uh, Dan and I are actually going to discuss another one of our essentials this week, uh, partly because of my own uh, travel and work schedule. I'm going to be a little behind on the new issues for a couple of weeks in uh, the end of May here. So uh, this will hopefully hold you guys over until Dan and I can get back on schedule. Um, so that potential essential issue, of course, is uh, the two-part Doomed Affair storyline from the second volume of Amazing Spider-Man. That's issues number 49 and 50 by J. Michael Straczynski and John Romita Jr. Uh, once we're done with that, we'll read some of your comments and emails, and then we'll go through our Flash Thompson's Flash reviews. I love it, Mark. His accent changes every time. I, it's got to be the alcohol. I'm just waiting for him to become Russian. Flash Thompson, <laughs> I, will break, <laughs> I will break you, then drink vodka over your body. In Russia, Flash Thompson reviews you. Well, of course, everybody, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. And I wanted to be sure to thank Nick Cagnetti, an artist who's provided us with absolutely incredible artwork for the different sections of the show that you'll be seeing from now on. So uh, before we used to just kind of repeat our logo, but now we have different artwork from Nick, and they are awesome, incredibly detailed, and I'll likely be putting them up on the site for viewing. But in the meanwhile, I wanted to thank him for being such an amazing fan and recommend that you listeners check out the images when they come up. So keep an eye on your whatever you have, your iPad, your iPod, your window on your browser because his artwork is pretty special agreed and especially for your window on your browser yeah absolutely so uh enough about all that let's get right to it my choice of essential this week amazing spider-man volume 2 number 49 and 50 also known as doomed affairs you cannot quit me so quickly there's no hope in you for me No corner you could squeeze me But I got all the time for you, love The space between the tears we cry So, so Dan, is this, a, is this a scary story? I mean, doomed affairs, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound promising it's not particularly scary, but guess what? It has everyone's favorite from Secret Wars, Doctor Doom. Oh wow! He's not uh, the God Doom here. Okay, so so Dan, this was your pick, and um, let me say that I think this is a great choice. So you know, you're not going to get much argument argument from me here, but but let me know why you thought you 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 picked this one. Well, Mark, I actually think this is going to get the conversation around this book is going to get more interesting and heated when you do your. Uh, your, one of your picks in the future, which is kind of the the partner to this story. Um, yes. 
Uh, but we'll eventually get to that um, in, a, in a number of episodes. But I, for the for the time being, I think that there are few comics like this one that showcase the Mary Jane Peter relationship in all of its complexity, quite like these two issues do. Um, and I really, that's kind of the heart of my argument here is that this is kind of a, a, a relationship issue. And we all know that Mary Jane is perhaps one of the key, if not the key uh, relationships in Peter's life. And, um, and this issue is, I think one of the best showcases of that. So, you know, 49 is essentially just a set setup issue to this, but, um, it kind of allows us to see what Peter and Mary Jane um, think about the relationship and each other um, separate from each other, which is also something that's kind of rare for uh, Spider-Man comics. You know, normally when we see Peter and his relationships, it's typically very one-sided. You know, it's like Peter spending time with the various different women and characters in his life. But here we get to spend a lot of time with Mary Jane kind of on her own. And there are very few issues that do that. And I think this one does a wonderful job um, of it. I don't want to get too much into the plotting when talking about um, how essential this is. But what's interesting is the first issue, again, like I said, they're separated. And the second issue is them coming together and kind of dealing with their issues. And at this point in time in the Marvel Universe, they weren't divorced, but they might as well have been. They were living on opposite coasts of uh, the states and not spending time with each other or really even talking to each other. Um, and so this was kind of the reunion issue done by Straczynski. And uh, we'll get into it a bit more, but I think uh, there are a few books that establish why this relationship works um, and the problems with the relationship quite like this one. And it, and it makes the story of Omit and One More Day even more uh, regrettable because of how this book is resolved. So I guess that's kind of my pitch. Would you agree with that, Mark? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, this, this, this historically came during, you know, attempt to break up Peter and MJ number one, you know, post plane crash that wasn't a, that didn't actually kill her. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, thanks for that one, Howard Mackey. Um, but yeah, I, I think as, as you alluded to, um, I have a, a Peter MJ story in mind that I don't know, kind of speaks in a different way, and also kind of comes a little later than this one, which is why I, I deem it a little more essential. But you know, I think you could probably flip a coin between those stories in terms of if you if you're looking for a essential Peter MJ story. So, um, like I said, Dan, I don't think you're going to get much argument from me. I love this book. Um, and, and, and not only do I love it, I see why it's important, but, um, you know, if you want to argue with me in a couple of weeks, we can do that. That's fine too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually I haven't read that book that you're alluding to, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've heard wonderful things about it. I know gasp me. I haven't read every Spider-Man comic, but, uh, it's not an amazing Spider-Man Dan. So yeah, that's probably why I missed it. Um, yeah, you know, it's not an annual either, you know, like don't, don't put any annuals on this list. (laughs) I I may have a few (laughs) (laughs) warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson. Um, but yeah, that's your, that's your spider sense going off Mark. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, but uh, um, yeah, do we want to dive into this thing or yeah, let's um... do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's talk about issue 49, because I think it's really interesting in structure. Um, and I think it showcases something that, um, you know, we I don't want to, you know, dump too hard on the modern Spider-Man books because we have our other episodes of our podcast to do that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the things about 49 and 50 as well, but I think 49 even more so is that it kind of showcases the benefits of not working the quote-unquote Marvel way, um, which for those of you who don't know, it's where uh, the writer outlines a basic plot and then the artist draws it and then the writer kind of fills in with dialogue bubbles. But like JMS's scripting is so precise um, that it allows him to do really amazing things. And this book is basically, you know, you could fold every page in half and it would just be a mirror of the other side where it shows Peter on one side and Mary Jane on the left and how they react to situations similarly or differently. And, um, it's a really wonderful storytelling, uh, 
uh, technique or, or, or uh, I guess, structure. Do you, is that, do you find the, the same, Mark? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, what's so funny is, you know, I agree 100% with what you're saying. This is a very intricately plotted book that from the Straczynski side. Um, and yet, I, I, like, I read this, this, these two issues, and there's kind of like this, like, classic, like, O. Henry type, you know, theme and, and vibe to it, which is just so, you know, like, it's not even just old school. I mean, it's, you know, that's like 18, late 1800s old school, right? I mean, sure. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, you know, the fact that like Shazinski can kind of go and, you know, the, 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 for those who aren't familiar with O. Henry, I mean, he was a writer who was kind of, you know, his, his, I don't want to say gimmick, but he was known for his use of irony, uh, in, in his, in his storytelling. And just like, you know, kind of how, um, the circumstances that bring Peter and MJ together and, you know, him, him going to her and her going to him and, you know, they finally meet in the middle. And then of course, you know, stuff happens in issue 50, which we'll get to, uh, that kind of forces them to have this conversation even under, in these awkward moments. I mean, it's it just is it's such a classic kind of trope, but but it works so well. Right, it could it, be a cliche, but under his pen, it becomes anything but yeah, that. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, you know, it's 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 interesting. Kind of these, I don't want to say contradictory, but like, you know, on one hand, you have this kind of very, like you said, precise way of telling a story, and then, but then it's kind of leaning on 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 old themes that, you know, aren't even just relevant to comics, but are, you know, just, just basic storytelling one-on-one and, and he, he just makes it work. And, and Ramita knocks it out of the park too, because I just feel like, especially in, in the second issue, I mean, like you get these, like all these little quiet moments in between these, uh, you know, bigger, more traditional superhero moments. And, and, the emotion is just sold throughout and, and there's a lot of complicated emotions in these two comics and, and Ramita brings it, you know, like, I mean, he, he, and, you know, probably Bagley on ultimate are like the two best at like capturing those little windows, you know? I absolutely agree with you. You know, like, can you, I mean, it, it takes you back, you know, thinking about like the, the early two thousands when we had, Bagley and we had, uh, you know, Ramita Jr. both doing their stuff at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was a golden age for Spider-Man. There's no question. I mean, both artistically storytelling. I mean, you know, you had two people basically kind of reinventing the wheel. One one with him as a teenager, and one with him as an adult, and they just both did wonderful things. So, I mean. Oh, to go back to those days, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, those days might not might not ever return again. Although yeah, both probably. artists are, you know, still, I imagine you could convince them to come back on the book. Yeah, although I think, you know, Romita is probably very firmly entrenched with DC now, which is just so weird. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah, so what, so what else do... In terms of 49, what else do you really like? Well, let's just set it up. If, you know, for those who haven't read this issue, you know, Peter and, and MJ are both flying to see each other from separate coasts and um, get to each other's apartments, and neither one is there. And so they kind of break in. Yeah, they both break into each other's apartments, which is a nice little parallel there. And um, this is my favorite part of of these books is the kind of – introspective, um, you know, character-based writing that we get about how they view the person's apartment and what it makes them think about the other person. Um, Like, so, for example, you know, Peter's place is just a mess with Chinese food out and, you know, clothes everywhere. And MJ says, like, it's, you know, a wreck, but she finds that kind of cute. And... uh, Peter goes into MJ's place, which is spot clean, and he has this really interesting uh, panel where he looks over at her bed and says, I'm curious, but I don't want to know, or I would or I would never ask. Um, and to me, that's like, wow, we're very firmly in adult territory here in this comic um, with characters who are allowed to be adults. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, snickering in the corner humor uh, about, you know, what what someone might be doing, you know, after hours. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And, like, you know, Peter's apartment is a mess. And this is kind of how I see Peter and maybe not how, you know, in in modern comics, Peter is a mess because he's just kind of like they think he's like a clown. But, like, Peter is not that. He's, like smart and intelligent and can get things done but because he has so much going on his life is a mess and you could see it reflected you know in how his apartment is kept up yeah i mean you know he doesn't have time to clean his apartment because you know he's freaking spider-man and he's teaching high school <laughs> science and you know et cetera, et cetera. um yeah but I, but i do love those moments of them kind of looking in each other's apartment because i mean the reactions you described i mean like you know this is there are some really complex things going on here, you know, that, that, like you said, it reflects, reflects them being adults. This is, it also just reflects a very adult relationship. This isn't, this isn't someone who is, you know, too, too young or, or has just been single forever writing about a, a, a very long-term committed relationship and, and kind of, you know, speculating how it might go. I mean, like, I don't want to, I don't want to jump to conclusions about JMS, but there seems to be a lot of honest feelings and emotions here because it's not all just like, Oh, you know, this person does this and I miss them and I love them. I mean, you know, there's a lot of fear there. Uh, there's this, this, this kind of need that's not just like, Oh, I need you, you know, casually. Like, I mean, it's like this very deeper meaning of the word need, um, sure. uh, you know, and, and anger and, and, and disappointment and, uh, being indignant about certain things. And, and that's, you know, I mean, you know, Dan, I've been, I've been married for over seven years now. And, and I mean, that's, that's, that's marriage. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like I was just going to say that it's, it's this, this is, that's what it is. And, and it, and it's, it's, you know, when you're with the right person, it's so worth it, but it's not just this, you know, like it's not a, it's not the picket fence. It's not, you know, like it's just a lot of complex, messy stuff that comes out, um, which again, not to spoil comes out in that story that I'll be discussing at a later date. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes you wonder if they got rid of this relationship purely because it was so difficult to write and they didn't have enough writers with the level, maybe not even maturity, but the ability to write it well. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, like, I don't think it's any coincidence that a lot of the people who wrote the Peter MJ marriage relationship best were people who were kind of like well set as adults themselves. I mean, like take a look at someone like Demetrius, who, you know, has even talked about like, you know, during some of his stuff, he has some weird stuff going on in his life personally. And, and, you know, like, you know, again, read between the lines, there's stuff going on. You know what I mean? Like, sure. it's, um, you know, it's probably adult stuff, you know what I mean? Like, and, 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 you know, he, he, he hits that out of the park and I, you know, I mean, Straczynski was, you know, what in his forties when he started on this book, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and I'm not saying it's just an age thing either, but like this idea of someone who has lived, lived the world and experienced these, the things that he's writing about. And, and I don't know if post, one more day, the spider books had that as much. Yeah. I mean, I and JMS is, is not one to shy away from mixing his personal life into his comics. I mean, even in issue 50, which we can talk about now, you know, it, it, it opens with people complaining about how everybody screws over writers. And, yes. you know, and that's probably a truism <laughs> from his own life. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's not even hiding his, his sustain there. Um, but, um, what did you think about kind of how, and not to jump back and forth, but like from the beginning of 49, the payoff with Ezekiel and the spider at the airport. I mean, you know, I, I, I liked that it wasn't obvious, but you know, when, when, the, when this, when this arc opens with this Ezekiel thing about things coming in threes and the, you know, the mystical nature of it, I was kind of like, you know, I never initially thinking like, where are they going with this? You know what I mean? Like, is this going to be like really like, Schmaltzy and melodramatic, 
and I kind of like the subtlety of it, but maybe it's not subtle. What do, what, do, what do you think? I love it. I mean, you know, I know there are people that take issue with the spider totem stuff, but like for me, that's like a real sweet spot. I think that all that stuff is great, and I, and I love the Peter that has spiders crawling on his back and is kind of more embracing of his spider side. That stuff to me is all real cool ways to make the character more interesting. And yeah, I love the kind of cutesy funness of him seeing a spider in the airport that leads him to MJ. And, you know, uh, you know what it is? It's probably like, again, getting a little bit of Jedi in my Spider-Man comics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. But like, I guess what, what, why I think it's effective is, you know, yes, they have the one panel that shows the spider that draws Peter's attention, but like, then they never draw attention to it again. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it's like, the, you know, it's like the, the mysticism, if you want to call it that did its work. And now it's, it's, it's up to Peter and MJ from there, you know, it's still about the people and, you know, like, and not to, not to drag it back to what we get today, but I just feel like a beat like that would be hit with much less subtlety in today's Spider-Man comics. It's just, you know, like, you know, well, not, be, not to mention there, issue, would, there would be candles in the background in, after a looking <laughs> race, you know, like, well, not to mention that all like does Spider-Man even show up in issue 49? It's like really just two people kind of, you know, uh, yeah. missing each other. You know, the only spider powers that I can really think of in that book are when he climbs the outside of the building. Yeah. And he's got a he just puts like a little sh- ties a shirt around his head to hide his face. Yeah. And sees the strange man woman, which uh, <laughs> is just like, I mean, you know, that's there's there's a beat. And again, it's like that is a really funny moment and it's kind of silly, but there's a maturity in its silliness because it's like, I don't know. It's it's I, I, I enjoy that. Like, like, it's not like potty humor it's just just it's stupid but it's funny stupid i don't well, know it's great about it it's one of those things that you think about you know like well if he's climbing on buildings wouldn't he see inside and it's never dealt with but there you know it kind of comes out and, it, and that's kind of an old joke i could think of like five movies that have used that exact joke but you know it's just handled so perfectly here so right, right. yeah and, and and it doesn't linger past its needed you know, expiration date, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. I mean, that's the thing about Trzinski is, like, and, and teamed up with Romita, is that, like, even if it's not the best idea in the world, they totally commit and sell it 100% in the best way that you could. Yes. Yeah. All right, so then in issue 50, we get Doctor Doom, right? Yeah, but, like, let me even, before we even open the book up, that the cover to issue 50 has always been one of my favorite covers. Um, the J. Scott Campbell cover, I think, is a real knockout. And I'm you're not typically a fan of his work because I feel like he kind of pin-up models all the women. I find it kind of disgusting. But, like, this cover is pretty neat with the sunset and everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, I mean, it's very cinematic. I mean, I actually feel like, I mean, did they kind of riff this for, like, Spider-Man 2 stuff around this time? I mean, like, it feels kind of congruous with that yeah you're right very much like those posters for that movie um yeah so no very totally agree probably one of the better covers in the last 15 20 years at least yeah i mean there were a bunch of really hot covers during the jms run that typically had nothing to do with what was going on inside the book but that's true and romita and romita drew very few of them which always me Although they find artists that, like, looked similar enough to Ramita. Like, if you squinted, you'd be like, maybe that's a Ramita. Right, right. Yeah. Even this one, like, you know, there are are things, but yeah. So anyway, back to the inside of the book, Dr. Doom. Uh, They're in the airport. They they finally, they both, their planes get, like, uh, landed. And they discover that Mary Jane and Peter are in the same airport as each other. And then in walks Dr. Doom um, with two uh, police officers. And there's kind of this funny joke about Dr. Doom speaking in all capitals when he says his name. <laughs> um, what do you feel about that? Just just before we get to talk about Doom, I'm sorry. I, I do want to talk about – I mean it's the it's, – I think it's like the very first panel of this comic where, you know, Peter and MJ kind of talk about their reunion and MJ is just like – 
Yeah, they both are like typical Parker luck. And yeah. I, I just I, I just love that moment because it's it's funny, but it's warm and it just like shows just such a really deep understanding for these characters and their history with each other and the fact that they would come to that conclusion and you know and that is the Parker luck, you know, not not the you know, well like I'm let's not get into it. But that's Parker Luck. To yeah, me. and I love that, you know, the the previous uh, book, the previous issue had been split down the middle with its paneling where yeah. you got these really wide cinematic panels, but they were cut down the middle for each character. And here this book opens with really wide cinematic paneling that is not broken down the middle with both of them in it, and it's showing this kind of uh, union coming together. And then it's further cemented by them sharing that same... Um, you know, uh, a speech bubble, and it's like what a perfect way to bring these two together. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But anyway, to your point with Doom, um, you know, it's it's funny. Like, you know, this is going to sound sacrilegious, but I mean, do we even need Doom in this comic? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't I think mean, so. I mean, I, I mean, I and I almost wonder, like, to your point about the, you know, like him talking in all caps and stuff. I mean, was this kind of like? Straczynski getting to be a, a bit of a fanboy and getting and just finding a way to worm Doom into one of his stories. You know what I mean? Like, because I, I mean, I, I think Doom is is amazing, but I mean, do you really need Doom here? You know, I mean, like, this is a case where like just the faceless robots would probably be just as good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, I will say there is a there's something done with Doom that I think is interesting. You know, it's not like a major theme of this issue, but when so the idea is Doom is in this. Uh, airport, um, and he gets attacked by some kind of resistance force or terrorist, you know, a guy with bombs strapped to his chest and these robots that come in after him. Um, they're trying to take Doom out um, while he's, I guess, on in American soil before he gets back to Latveria. And, um, but when, you know, Spider-Man springs to action to save Doom, um, and it kind of brings up the Uncle Ben moment about his inaction and how he could let the robots just kill Doom and everybody would probably be better off. Um, but he has a responsibility. So even in a book like this, you know, Straczynski still manages to involve Spider-Man's origin, which to me is a check. And uh, and he also adds some shades of moral complexity to, you know, whether or not he should save Doom and so on. That is then kind of, uh, I think, bookended in a really fun way at the end of this book when uh, Spider-Man saves Doom and then tells him off uh, to his face, um, which kind of to me says, you know what, like he'll save everybody, but that doesn't mean he's compromising on his values. You know what right. I mean? Right. He'll, he'll save you, but doesn't mean he likes it. And we've, we've seen that with like him and Jonah over the years, too. Sure. Um yeah, I no, it, it's it's a good premise, and it, it just it it feels. If I have one complaint about this story, is just I feel like that whole thing feels a little forced. I mean, it's it's like I don't know. I I I think the stakes are already so high with Peter and MJ trying to remedy this, and you know, stuff is happening that's preventing it from happening. I mean, you know, it could. It, I mean, it really could just be. You know, it could just be a burglar. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like it doesn't like. I, I feel like going all the way up and involving Doctor Doom is almost like you know unnecessary. And, yeah. it, and it, it's 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 not a. I mean, like we're, when I talk about my only complaint, it's like it, this is a very tertiary complaint. I'm not like I'm not sitting there like I can't enjoy the story now. <laughs> it, it does, I'll agree with you. It does seem arbitrary. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've always like been like, and Doom is an awkward enemy for Spider-Man to fight anyway. Yeah. Um, and we haven't even mentioned that Captain America is in this book, which I actually really, I mean, you know, once you have Doom in it, you know, you don't, I don't really mind Cap as well, and I think Cap is used really well. Yeah, I I agree. So like, I think, yeah, I think you could do this the other way and put more focus on the relationship stuff. But I think because it does, it pulls it off so well. I don't really mind. But I, I totally feel you. I never think about this book as like, oh, that's the book with Doom in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but yeah, the Captain America comeback sequence is great. Um, you know, there's there's a moment of Spidey getting his butt saved, but because it's Captain Frickin' America, I can deal with it. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not it's like, not some little woman telling him everything <laughs> that he does is wrong. Or, you know, someone that's been locked in a vault for 12 years, you know? like. <laughs> Um, but I mean, it's also he legitimately saves him like as part of like what a team up is, you know, like right. he jumps in front of him with his shield and then Spider-Man does something else. He, you know, latches onto the um, destroyed part of the building and pulls it down on on Doom. You know what I mean? Like, so it's teamwork. It's not him saving him. It's them working together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, once once things calm down on the fighting front, we get the. Um, I don't just love you. I need you. Sequence between Peter and MJ, which I think is just, you know, if you're if you're putting down greatest speeches from Peter to MJ, I mean that's that's probably it, right? I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, in that really stunning full page spread, where there's just so much emotion on their faces, like, yeah. especially Peter's face is just like he looks like haggard. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. has been through the ringer. Yeah, I'm gonna just dry my eyes a moment. There's someone cutting onions in here, Dan. Um, <laughs> you sure it's not the dustiness of your room? That too. Yeah, uh, you a, know, a double whammy here. But um, yeah, it's just it's just you know I mean, and that's the moment you read these two comics for. I think you know what I mean, like, and and I mean you know the understanding is that you know it's because you know MJ keeps telling Peter it's not enough just to love somebody, and and Peter basically agrees and. It's like, it's not just love. I need you. And again, it's not this kind of like, you know, empty, hollow need. It's like, you know, you, you know, he basically says, you know, you're the one who inspires me to be better. And, and, you know, like ask Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. That's just a good thing to say to a woman. Right, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) You make me want to be a better man. (laughs) And then even better is that Cap gets the final word in. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> he's he's like Silent Bob in this comic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, not a lot of women will make you lasagna. Wait, no, that's not it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, he says, you know, Peter, the mask can be used to hide your face, but make sure it doesn't hide I, your, your heart. heart. Oh, Cap. Steve Rogers, lady killer. What a good guy. Just, you know. Anyway, well, I mean, one that we forgot to mention, I think maybe the most fun thing about this comic is seeing that like Peter has to go fight Doom and then skip back to his conversation with Mary Jane. And she puts like a serious there's some serious stakes in this uh, conversation. She says, like, this might be the last time that we talk, you know, like, yeah, no, I mean, this drama here, like that's, you know, it's it's very real here. Definitely. And there's a great moment where Peter comes back and he's kind of being funny and doing his Spider-Man thing. And she's like, is like, cut it out. And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry. You know how it is. And then he goes back to being Peter again. Yeah. I love that moment because you can see the kind of two sides of Peter kind of like he puts that mask on really quite literally, you know. Yeah. And uh, Of course. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Um, uh, you actually forgot to mention the other funniest part was just Dr. Doom trying to go through a metal detector <laughs> and taking the change out of his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> or when they have to duck away from the old couple and he's the like, sugar. Yeah, he's like, uh, excuse me, miss, we're going to go over here where it's more safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Dan, this is this was a very good pick. Yeah, yeah, I've always loved this one. I mean, you could pick almost anything from this run and and say we could have, this whole run could be a list. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else you want to say on these? On Not these really. Just if you haven't read it, you know. Well, if you haven't read it, go back and read JMS and JRJR's run. Uh, right. But this is a real highlight. Yeah, abs- absolutely. All right. Well, then why don't we get to some comments and emails? Absolutely, Mark.
Okay, well, of course, you can find Amazing Spider Talk on iTunes and on Stitcher. And after you find us, if you can, leave us a comment and a rating and all those great things because it's only through your feedback that we grow. Uh, and, you know, if you're wondering how you can find us on these services, just search on Amazing Spider Talk or just Spider-Man will come up pretty quick. Um, and also, uh, if you can, send us an email, drop us a line. Do you like these essential issues? Do you want to speculate about something, Spider-Man movie news, whatever? You can reach us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. And then if you tweet at one of us, just hashtag it, OK to print. And we uh, will read it on the air. So, Dan, who is our first comment from? Yeah, well, our first email comes from uh, Josh Mackin. Um, we didn't get any comments this time, Mark, unfortunately. Boo. But, <laughs> well, I think maybe we got all of our good comments in out of that contest. So, um, we'll have to find something else to give away, Dan. Yeah, I have right. Ideas. More giveaways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so our first email comes from Josh Matkin, and uh, he writes, I know you guys have been j- down on the book generally since the return of Amazing Spider-Man, and rightfully so. Do you think Slot is on his way out and tired with the book, or do you think he is playing the long game? I was thinking the other day that he may be playing up and leading up to a story based around Peter not being his normal self and not being able to do it like he used to. There have been no mentions in the book, but I thought this could be something Slot would do. It'd be nice if all this bumbling that Peter's been doing was for a reason, not just down to poor writing. It may just be wishful thinking, but hey, that's what I do. So, Mark, how do you respond to Josh's email? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to beat up on Dan Slot too much in a, in a non-new Amazing Spider-Man episode of Amazing Spider-Talk. But, I mean, you know, at this, at this rate, I, I just don't feel that there's any um, benefit of the doubt to be given to Dan Slot about long games or, you know, maybe this is leading to something else. I mean, you know, we've been kind of playing that game now really since the end of Goblin Nation and, you know, the payoffs just aren't there. Um, so maybe there's something there. I don't, I'm of the mind and Danny, we've talked about it. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think as long as the book is selling uh, and he seems personally happy with doing it and by all Tense purposes, he seems to be. Um, I don't see there being a changing of the guard. I don't think, you know, post-Secret Wars, we're going to see anything different. I mean, he was even talking about post-Secret Wars on Twitter the other day. So he's not going anywhere, folks. Yeah, and Uh, I I don't think that there's any long game to be played around Peter, you know, being being bumbling. Yeah. And even if there is, it's been very poorly handled because it doesn't seem intentional. It just seems like, like you said, down to kind of sloppy writing. So, I mean, yeah. who knows, but yeah, consider me not excited for that reveal. Yeah. Okay. So then our second email is from John Gibson. Uh, and he writes, uh, if the list of Spider-Man's top 10 villains were green goblin, venom lizard, and then the original sinister six. So that would be doc, Ock, vulture, Craven, uh, Sandman, electro and Mysterio. Uh, who would the last spot belong to? Um, what do you think, Dan? Yeah, well, I would say it belongs to the Kingpin. Um, I mean, without even really thinking hard about it, uh, you know, I think he is an essential part of Spider-Man's rogues gallery. And there are a number of others. I mean, this list leaves off my favorite villain, which, Mark, I think is one of your favorites as well. I'll let you do the honors. What do you feel about this? Well, yeah, I mean... Yeah, if you're if you're counting all six of the Sinister Six, um, then definitely it would leave off. I would say Hobgoblin. Yeah. Right. Um, because I mean, I agree. Kingpin's got to be there. Kingpin was so essential in the Silver Age, and I just even think like through the '80s and '90s, and even now, his presence is just kind of because he's. I mean, Kingpin's almost like Doom in the fact that he's just this kind of larger than life Marvel villain now. No pun intended. Or, or even in Ultimate Spider-Man, like I would consider oh, him right. in the top three in that book too. Yeah, and then I mean, just in terms of like, you know, modern writing. I mean, in terms of other characters, maybe like on the, um, on the, on the bubble, so to speak. You can even make a case for like a chameleon at this rate, which is someone I probably wouldn't have said years ago, but I feel like he's just kind of increased in importance right am i am i off base on that one or i think when he's used correctly like um 
I don't think Chameleon is a good, like, main villain, but there have been a couple twists recently with him that I think were really wonderful, like, especially in the Grim Hunt story where he was impersonating Kane. I thought that was... Or no, not Kane, Ezekiel he was impersonating. And I was like, that's a great use of that character. So, uh, yeah, I think Chameleon can be great when he's used correctly. And I think, I mean, in terms of modern villains, you might you can make a case for on-the-bubble status from Moreland, putting aside Spider-Verse, of course. Um, but, but you Yeah, know, I, I would agree with you, but I think Moreland's really only had one good story. Well, two, if you count the other. Yeah. <laughs> Do I mean, we count the other? Oh, he killed Spider-Man, sorta. Do you count that as a good story? I don't know. You, I'm, I've never been a big fan of it, but I thought you did. No, I, I'm not a huge fan of it either. Um, I mean, I think Moreland's role in it is fine, um, but I don't think it's as interesting as his first appearance. Uh, okay. But yeah, no, I. Lo- I mean, don't get me wrong. We've talked about how much we love Moreland, but uh, yeah, I think, I think he, he's the most interesting new villain. Um, um, the important thing here, though, Dan, is that we are both very clearly not counting Carnage. Yes, that is that is very clear. Although, t- to be honest, there have been some really interesting Carnage stories recently. Yeah, but they're not really Spider-Man Carnage stories. And they're not really, like, terribly interesting necessarily because, uh, like, Carnage is an interesting character. Right. Right? Um, like, I liked... Um, Superior Carnage because he was kind of more like a plot device than a character. Dan, I mean, talking about all these villains, though, always reminds me. There's an annual, I know. Uh, uh, Mark, I, you know how I feel about annuals. I think it's 23. It's got it's got a Rob Liefeld cover with Spider-Man and She-Hulk going against the, um, oh, it's that Hulk villain. The uh, dominant, uh, the, the. The Absorbing uh, Man. No, not absorbing man. The monster. The um, oh, the abomination. Yes, I know. Abomination. That cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in one of the the like the extras in the back, they do uh, a top thirty Spider-Man villain list. And this was, um, this was like one of the very first Spider-Man comics I had as a kid. And I like read that top thirty list until, and I remember like it had like it had Green Goblin and Hobgoblin tied for number one because this was like late 80s so at that point i mean hobgoblin there was no bigger i would actually agree with that i think those two should be tied for number one um well at that point definitely i mean you know hobgoblin has kind of gradually gone to the background but um and then like i think like the burglar was in the top 10 (laughs) (laughs) i remember this one they're all kind of standing right next to each other almost like layered over each other yeah, very cartoony. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was you know, Venom at that point was like seven or eight because, I mean, I think Venom had only been in like one or two stories. Sure. Uh, that there sounds was no, about right anyway. There was no carnage at that point. Oh, what a beautiful world that was. I know. Um, yeah. No, no, no. I liked Access Carnage too. Uh, J. J. Jonah Jameson was in the villain list, which cracked me up. That I actually like when this que- I read this question, I thought about J. Jonah Jameson because he's kind of the force behind a lot of his villains. You yes. know, J. Jonah Jameson is like Scorpion, um, Spider Slayers, the Beetle. I mean, you name it. Yeah, um, yeah. he's got uh-huh. his hands involved. Right. Well, anyway, I just, I just, it just reminds me of that. But oh, um, there's a second part to John's question. Uh, he asks us, Dan, how do you feel about the Jackie Chan version of Karate Kid? Do you think Jaden Smith could have been a decent Miles Morales? Well, how many Jaden Smith movies have you seen, Mark? Uh, none. None? Okay. Well, I've seen every one that he's been in. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's it's kind of your job to do that, though, Dan. That's true. That is true. Um, I think he could have been fine. I don't think he's a great actor, but, you know... He's fine, good enough, you know. Maybe when he for a really young Miles Morales, um, I guess he is always kind of young. But when he was thirteen, particularly, it could have worked. I mean, but I don't know why everybody's. It, it's like he's the only young black actor that people know. Like, and they kind of <laughs> jump to him. And if that's true, you know, and maybe that is true. It's kind of sad that that's the only option. Um, 
Well, there was that kid from like Everybody Hates Chris or something. Cause they used it. <laughs> yeah. Who like showed up. I was like watching a, a, a Sesame Street DVD with my son and like he is like a five year old shows up on Sesame Street, which cracks me up. Yeah, right. Oh, well, yeah, you never know. Um, I mean, you know, that whoever that kid, not Jaden Smith, this kid from Everybody Hates Chris, uh, who I can't think of the actor's name, which makes me a terrible person. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he could have been fine. I mean, we're, rumors are today that it's official that Asa Butterfield is playing the new Spider-Man. And, I, you know, it's not confirmed, so I'm not reporting it yet. But, um, uh, you know, I would never put Asa Butterfield as Spider-Man. But, you know... He'll probably be great. So you never know. It's all up to directors and so on. But how do we feel about the Jackie Chan version of Karate Kid? Mark, uh, have you seen it? I have not seen it. But, you know, Dan, have you seen the original Karate Kid? I have not seen the original Karate Kid in its entirety. Okay. So, you know, you, you, you it's like, Mr. Miyagi and sweep the leg. And put him in a body bag. I mean, you know, that's Karate Kid to me. I think I've actually <laughs> seen part two of the Karate Kid. See, I've seen that once and never again. Yeah, I've seen part two because it was on television. And then, you know, the funny thing about this, my name being uh, Daniel, I had a kid in my school when I was growing up always say to me, oh, Daniel's son. And I had no idea of what he was say- why he was saying that. I thought he was referring to me like I was his child or something. Uh, and so I, I would just respond, oh, Jeffrey's son. And yes. yeah. And then he was like, no. He's no, just... no, he kept it up. But years later, I was like, oh, that's what he's referring to. No, that's when you're supposed to go back. What are you going to teach me to sweep the leg, Mr. Miyagi? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I did like the new Karate Kid. I mean, it was fine. You know, I wouldn't say it was anything object- objectionable. I think it's kind it was... of strange that they called it karate considering, you know, Jackie Chan is Chinese. Shh. <laughs> don't don't get the technicality. I don't think they actually ever use the word karate in the movie either. Like I don't I think officially he's like does he's like learning he's Martial not arts. learning yeah, he's not learning karate. Um so that's you know, yay, brand marketing. All right, Dan, do we want to get to our next segment? Yeah, it might be good for us to move on from karate kid on our Spider Man podcast. All right. Oh, wait, Dan. Dan, we got a special guest coming. Who is it? All right, hold on. Yeah, you, you, we're ready for you. Just just ugh, put the bottle down and get over here. Everybody, it's your old pal Flash Thompson. Dan, are you still talking about Karate Kid? What's wrong with you? What are I, you like, Uni Parker with his microscope? I promise, Flash, I'm done with the Karate Kid. Although I'm sure you could teach me a few things about fighting. Oh, I could do karate, taekwondo, jujitsu, street fighting, Mortal Kombat. You name it, an old pal Flash Thompson can do it. I believe it. I believe it, Flash. Well, do we want to talk about these reviews, Flash? Yeah, so these Flash Thompson reviews. And for those who have not been listening to the first, I don't know, 1,200 episodes of Superior Spy. Oh, excuse me, Amazing Spider Talk. <laughs> Must be the booze. Um, these reviews are 60 seconds long, and they're of all the Spider-Man B titles. Because, you know, someone's got to be a loser and only talk about the main book on their main podcast. Oh, wow. Flash, um, so I, I always went to, I wanted to ask you, um, how long have you been back from your deployment? What, are you kidding me? Do you not read the comics? I've been around for, I don't know, like uh, a couple of years. I mean, you know, I go, you know, I'm teaching gym in Philadelphia. Oh, What's okay. this to you? I don't know. Just curious. You know, want an update on my, on my friend here. You know, what do you think? I'm like running in the jungle in a venom suit and then going into space. Come on. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, stranger things have happened. No, that's not happening. All right. So stop asking. All right. All right. So uh, can I can I go back to my bottle now? I don't want to stop you. 
Okay, I'll see you later. All right, bye, Flash. Every time, Dan, he is just—he's full of personality. Mark, is he just like living in your apartment? What? What? Did, what kind of deal did you work out here? I don't know. He, he claims that he teaches in Philadelphia, but I never see him leave. So I mean, he just kind of, just kind of just sits there. Is it like spring break for him? I don't know. I don't know. He, he wants to play dodgeball with me. And, I, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, at a, I feel a little weird about it because it's like, you know, uh, it's just I feel weird about it. All right. <laughs> um, you want to get into reviewing these titles? I guess. That seems like <laughs> the most natural thing to do next. <laughs> All right. So what are we going to what are we going to start with? Uh, Silk number four. That sounds good to me. All right, Dan, how about I count you in? OK. All right. That sounds good. All right. Three, two, one. So uh, Silk, to me, is a trial run, or at least it seems to be a trial run for Robbie Thompson to prove that he should be writing a Spider-Man title. The problem is that Cindy Moon just doesn't really seem to have a hook to her yet. That's really all that interesting. Though it seems she's losing her powers, and uh, I'm imagining maybe it's radioactive decay. And uh, I wonder if this this is the creative team's way of ending the character in a satisfying way before Secret Wars is done. That said, there's no way not to be charmed by the writing and art, especially from the new penciler on this book, Anna Paola Martello, who I think is just fabulous here. I mean... Beautiful stuff. Looks like Sarah Pacelli's work. I love this comic, but it needs a stronger A story to keep me hooked. As delighted as I am to get these character moments, I just don't really know where this is going. Though, it's just good enough to be barely fan club certified. There you go. All right. May I begin? Yeah, let me get my clock out here, and I'm going to count you in, Mark, in three, two, one. Well, Dan, I probably would have given up on this book by now if it wasn't for this podcast. I'm sorry, <laughs> folks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Robbie Thompson, for me, he just can't seem to pick a theme and a consistent characterization for his protagonist and seems to be going to the dance lot school of making everyone chameleons depending on what story they're in. So now, you know, Spider-Man is this big jerk who's meddling in Cindy's life and, you know, isn't trying to be a help. And, uh, you know, at the same time, like, you know, Cindy's knowledge of pop culture and what happened in those years that she was awake seems to come and go with whatever is convenient for the story. Um, I, I just I just don't get it. It's it just seems to be, you know, Thompson trying to make the, the weekly or the, I should say the monthly cute joke. And, you know, unlike you, Dan, I actually did not like uh, the art team going away from Stacey Lee. This kind of felt like a fill in issue for me. The art to me wasn't as up to par as it had been the previous three issues. So I say puny Parker. Wow. Look at that. Two very different opinions. There you go. That's why we're doing this. That's Dan Flash Thompson. I mean, you know, he's he's slumped over in the corner right now, but he would agree that we need to, you know, share our opinions, Dan, even if they differ. All right. <laughs> How about Spider-Man 2099 number 12? I think man? we're going to agree on this one, Mark. Okay. So how about three, two, one? Goodbye, Spider-Man 2099. We hardly knew ye. After a year of stories... We're done, apparently. And this is not the finest issue of the book. And, and to be honest, it feels like a quick wrap-up with a bloated battle just to finish off the story. The art in this book has never really worked for me, even when the writing was at its best. And the more we've moved away from this book's primary plot, which is Miguel getting back to 2099 and helping reform Ty Stone, the less I've been interested in this story. I'm considering this one killed by editorial mandate from Spider-Verse and now Secret Wars, Puny Parker. All right, Dan. May I be counted? You may be counted and go. Yes, Dan, like you, I believe the heavy hand of Secret Wars has struck again as uh, we had a story that, you know, a, a series that I felt had a lot of promise and could have been in a good groove, but it ends prematurely and without any real appropriate build or climax. Uh, I actually think Peter David is a wonderful writer. Uh, and he manages to work some very readable moments into this comic, but we're essentially being forced to care about a plot line that the book itself abandoned for Spider-Verse and then Future Imperfect. Um, I do wonder uh, if this book does find a way to return post-Secret Wars. Um, I, I'm not totally, totally believing that final is final here. Uh, but if it doesn't, color me disappointed that it ends with an anticlimactic battle and a vague identity reveal. Puny Parker. Yeah, it's a real shame, you know, like... This, you give a, a writer like Peter David the room to operate, and he kind of, 
you know, then gets pushed around, it seems. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was kind of like, why, I, why bring this book back? I mean, but, you know, the first few issues sold really, really well. And I don't know. I, 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 yeah, of course, sales matter, Dan. But you, you do have to wonder, like, you know, even going back to our interview with Dennis Hopeless about Spider-Woman and how, like, you know, they wanted they wanted those first few issues to be Spider-Verse ties and tie-ins because Nick, Nick Loeb believed it would sell better. Um, so... Yeah, I don't who know. knows? Who knows? Um, so we're going to move kind of out of the spider office, but into the larger Marvel universe, which involves everybody. So speaking talk- of sales. Yes. Secret Wars. Although, you know, for a book that's gonna, that's probably selling a ton, Dan, this is this is this is definitely for hardcore fans of comic books. I yeah. would say I, I, um, I have seen so many people commenting on how much they don't like this because they just don't get it. Okay, but let's 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 save it for the sure. for the flash view. Three, two, one. I'm gonna say it, Mark. I'm officially obsessed with Secret Wars. I've read these books several times over and just think that they've been handled from top to bottom with the greatest of care. If Hickman's writing and Ribbick's artwork continue like this, I wouldn't be surprised to see them up for an Eisner later this year. This book is some incredible visual surprises that are so well crafted and staged. Not only in the writing, but also in the in this you know the way the visuals reveal things, like when Captain Britain gets tossed over the shield and ignites what I'm going to call his lightsaber. I got so excited, like wow, this is a top-notch comic book story telling that is just taking great risks, and I hope Marvel is rewarded for it. Although I'm wary about just how steep of the curve there is to understanding this book, fan club certified through the roof. All right. All right, you ready, Mark? I am ready. And go. Well, holy crap, my mind is blown. After a very thrilling first issue, Hickman actually pumps the brakes and delivers a masterclass in world building and slow reveals. This book is just so dense, but it does it in a way that isn't daunting or off-putting, at least for me. I want to find out more about Battleworld, Doom, Strange, the Braddock family, etc. The Thanos reveal at the end was just phenomenal tension building. And this idea that there's kind of this wild west outside of Doom's world that not even he has dominion over. This is just breathtaking stuff. And, and Rivik's art is just exhilarating. It's dynamic. I mean, you know, he captures the, the fast moments, the slow moments, everything. This is shaping up to be the best Marvel event in years. It blows away the first few issues of books like Age of Ultron, Original Sin, and Axis. I say fan club certified. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I mean, like, this is shaping up to be, I think, even better than maybe even Civil War if it keeps it, on this level. Well, you know, and... You know, it's it's funny. Like with time, I, I love Civil War, but you know, I know I I understand that there are people who don't because they feel like it was kind of like forced character moments to, to kind of tell a story, and you know, because of this whole thing taking place in this like alternative battle world, you know, we don't have to worry about that. Like this is this is just Hickman's domain right now. This is his world. He can do whatever the hell he wants with it, and. And, it, you know, as long as he's consistent, it'll work. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, yeah. I think, what's, what's so great. I mean, you know, Doctor Strange being the, the sheriff to Doctor Doom, you know, that's the, those, those are what the rules are here. You know what I mean? So, and, and if this is the end of the Marvel Universe, then what a great way to go out because it's such a tribute to all the years of Marvel's comics history. I mean, I got to be honest with you, Dan. This, I mean, not that I'm a huge fan of, you know, seeing Marvel do like a new 52 reboot or anything, but like if, you know, we they go through all this and then, you know, this essentially just gets swept under the rug, rug come the fall for some Marvel Now 2.0 or something like that, that where everything is the same again, I'm going to be really bummed. Yeah, this is so much fun. Like I'm sold on throwing away the Marvel Universe. Like yeah, I, that's how good this is. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, because this is this is different. This isn't just like, you know, like New Fifty Two. Like, oh, it's it's the same as it was, except it's five years earlier, and you know, some things are selectively retconned out, and some things are the same. Mainly, everything with Batman is the same, uh, and all marriages and you know, debilitating injuries have been reversed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to get too far afield, but does this kind of have like a House of M feel to you or? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, 
I, I'm not the hugest House of M person, but I mean, it's 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 pretty. I mean, because that's the thing. House of M was still kind of playing within familiar territory. This is just like its own thing. I mean, you know, it's funny. I read uh, on one website, 13th Dimension, the guy who writes that, Dan Greenfield's a huge DC person. And he's been reviewing Secret Wars, like, a D, you know, basically saying this is what a DC person reviewing Secret Wars is like. And he basically, he what he compares it to is the most recent uh, Grant Morrison story, Multiversity. And I think, and I read Multiversity and I, I, I would agree. It's just like, you know, if you're a fan of the history of these comics, like, this is this in your wheelhouse, you know, but if you're, you know, if someone who's maybe just recently come onto comics, you're probably like, what the hell is this? You know, what have you done to Marvel? <laughs> Jonathan Hickman, <laughs> you murderer. <laughs> well, wonderful stuff. If you're not reading this, go out and pick up a copy of Secret War. I hugely recommend it. All right, Dan, why don't we take them on home? The them long and dusty road home. You bet. So, of course, everybody, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do, please be sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing, and we'll be sure to read it on the air. In addition to that, I also want to draw everyone's attention to the uh, Ultimate Spin podcast, our sister show that covers Ultimate Spider-Man and Spider-Gwen. Uh, it's a really great show that's kind of grown leaps and bounds since it started and I think is like a really just wonderful podcast. So I encourage you to check it out. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher or anywhere our podcast is, even on my site. But I also wanted to draw attention to it because they're having a contest to uh, win a free Marvel crate. It's like a box full of all these Marvel goodies. Um, And you can find the information about that podcast or about that contest on their newest podcast. So there's really no better of a time to jump on board that amazing show. Um, And like always, if you have any opinions on the comics that Mark and I discussed today or any questions, be sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. And uh, we'll address and read them on the air. Uh, and also be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superior spider talk and facebook.com slash chase and amazing. Uh, these are great places to keep up with us in between shows, to read our articles, to read about what Flash Thompson is doing in the corner of my living room right now. I, I, I really hope he's just staring. Uh, no, there's a stream of water. Oh, it's Flash. Oh, Flash. Oh, uh, anyway, I'll have to clean that up later. Um, also, uh, breaking news about the Spider-Man universe. So definitely check out Facebook. And also don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk members club. Just because we don't get into our shtick on the Essential Show doesn't mean that you shouldn't consider donating to us by looking for that button on our pages. We also want to thank the great Ryland Bojack for our theme song and also uh, Magic for our outro song. Yeah, and a special thanks to Nick Cagnetti, Ray Sumzer, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema for our show's awesome artwork. Absolutely. So, Dan, internet, you, where? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at @DanGavazdan or on my Spider-Man account at SupSpiderTalk and read all of my Spider-Man writing and all of my team Spider-Man writing, my wonderful team Spider-Man writing at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, uh, the Movie Dare podcast, where we watch terrible films and talk about them. Uh, and you can read my movie reviews at GrindMyReels.com. How about you, Mark? Yeah, well, you can, of course, find me at www.chasingamazingblog.com. Although, I got to admit, Dan, I've been kind of a little slow with some of my reviews lately. Uh, I just got a lot going on. Uh, you know, doing these podcasts has kind of uh, been the last of my free time lately. And I, I, I'm having more fun doing that than writing reviews for some of these comics, if I'm being honest, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> it's much easier to, you know, hear Flash Thompson yell about them. Um, but, 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 you know, if, you, if you've been coming to the site on a daily basis and not in, in being disappointed by the lack of content, I, I apologize. But just just stick with it, folks, or, you know, maybe some good things are on the horizon. Um, also, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. And uh, that's about it for me right now. Like I said, it's been busy, but not not comic book busy. So my apologies. 
<laughs> awesome. Well, Mark, you know, I was at the airport the other day, and there was a terror alert. So we all had to kind of like secure our bags and kind of get out of the way. And, uh, you know, and who did I see getting off a plane? You, escorted by two police officers. What was going on? Oh, man. Yeah. So um, I was I was on the plane. Uh, I, I was I was actually about to travel for work and, you know, was going to go to a cool city. I, you know, I can't say where, though. Um, and I I saw this guy in a green cloak and, and you know, he looked like Dr. Doom. And I was just like, you know what, man, screw you and what you're doing to Latveria. You know, like, you know, I, I, Dan, you know me. I wouldn't like come. I wouldn't pack a bomb or anything. I'm like, you know, and I wouldn't. But I said bomb on a plane as Ben Aff, as uh, Ben Affleck, as Ben Stiller once learned. But anyway, the, yeah, you, the are, joke, you are passionate about Latveria's freedom. Yeah. You know, like it's just like I, and tyranny now, you know, like totally. Um, and then, but you want to know something? So like, I, I, you know, I poke on that person and I'm like, I got a bomb on my, in my, in, in my bag. And the guy turns around and it was my uncle Ben. Oh, what was he doing wearing all that green? I don't know. I think he was coming from like some Celtic revival festival or something. That I, is so I, like him. I know. He's just you know, Ben Parker. I Every mean, time know. he's done with his rose garden, he's doing that. Yeah, I know. It was just, it was just crazy, and you know. But you know, the 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 damage had been done, though. So you know, there come the. You know, I was about to go to like you know the underground huts at TSA for uh, the next two days. I'm lucky I actually got to get out and, and do this podcast because, oof, you don't want to go where the TSA brings you in the airport. Let me tell you. But um, but as they were dragging me away, and I kept saying, "But wait, it's my uncle Ben." My uncle Ben was just like, "Oh, Mark, with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk." <laughs>